This is Leadership is Changing Podcast, Episode 3. This is Jake Bazant. I was former CEO and co-founder of Parking Sense. If you're wanting to learn more on how to embrace change and navigate through disruption as a leader, then listen to Leadership is Changing Podcast with my good friend, Dennis Giannoutsos. Welcome to Leadership is Changing. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change. This is taking your leadership to another level by finding the balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsos. Hey, welcome to the show, Leadership is Changing. What we as leaders know to be true is that change is constant. Leaders everywhere confront similar obstacles because people are people, but everywhere you go, leaders are overwhelmed, disrupted, and under pressure. They run from email to email, meeting to meeting. Many leaders are not changing quick enough, which means they run the risk of becoming irrelevant and being left behind. The purpose of the show is taking our listeners' leadership to another level by finding their balance between executive excellence and personal well-being through stories that inspire real change. I believe we don't have enough effective leaders in the world today. If we can get the leaders to step up and lead change, then they can inspire real change. It's, it is now time to adapt in our fast-moving world. Team, today I have a, a guest. His name is Jake Bassant, and Jake is started off in a law school and then helped launch a small tech startup and got listed in, in Australia. And then he's then started another organization called Parking Sense. And so, five years he's uh, taken a journey from New Zealand and then it's gone global. Jake, welcome to the show today. Hey, my pleasure to be here, Dennis, and thanks for having me. Awesome. Hey, Jake, let's just uh, start off a little bit more about your background. And, and that's really quite interesting how the law school, then you did a startup and then enlisted in Australia, but then you went into parking sense. So just tell us more about that whole journey. Yeah, look, you know, uh, traditional background, you know, went to public schools here in New Zealand and then got the opportunity with student loan to go to university, study law. Uh, a couple of years in, I got the opportunity running into an old school friend's father um, who'd started a small tech sensor company. He had about nine staff at the time, but he wanted to publicly list it. He needed a lawyer. I said I wasn't one. He said, I don't care. And so I, I went and started working part-time while I was, I was studying full-time. Nine months later, um, well, being paid part-time, working full-time, nine months later, we publicly listed on the ASX in Australia. That's still uh, listed today, Smart Parking. And then by virtue of the fact that, you know, the company was entrepreneurs, we'd gone from nine staff to 1,200 staff inside about 18 months. So a big change for the entrepreneurs. And they decided to dump out. So, I, you know, as a young guy, I was just finishing my law degree, I was kind of the only one left standing that sort of knew the company inside out, had done a lot of the deals, done a lot of the paperwork, was reporting to the ASX every week. So I kept running that one for another 12 months. And then 12 months to the day, I got the opportunity with a couple of the founders from that first company to start a new company and run it and basically create the framework that I wanted to up in the US. And that was Parking Sense. So uh, we started that business in 2014, and by uh, the time that I stood down as CEO in uh, 2019, we'd become the largest in the world through a couple of acquisitions out of Spain and out of South America, operating in 51 countries today. And how how many employees did you have in that organization? So that organization, we, we used to run what we would call, and I don't know if it's an, an appropriate name or not, it was called the Benetton model. 
which was basically we wanted to be very light. So at any one time, we were only up to 100 staff uh, in the company. And then we used a lot of third-party contractors, both in terms of software, in terms of install of hardware. And it was a really interesting model, actually, distributors as well. And so we had a lot of moving parts. Some of it worked really well. Some of it um, probably could have been better, but all in all, it was a pretty good experience. Yeah, and I, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, what are your thoughts about with with COVID nineteen and going through the pandemic and that, and a lot of businesses uh, are going to go bankrupt through the economic times. It's going to be hard and so forth. But what are your thoughts on the way that businesses work? In other words, will they go to that model that you just talked about, whereby they will have a smaller organisation, but they will contract and bring more people in based on the services and and, and things need? What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, look, look, I'm I'm a big fan of it. I think, you know, as we work through COVID-19, and, and the reality is, is the global economic climate was changing anyway before COVID-19. So I think the reality is, is businesses were having to start to change how they operated. Where do you find efficiencies? You know, are you as productive as you can be? And what we found is by using contractors in areas that we didn't specialize in, you know, we weren't an install company. We weren't a, um, a marketing company. We were a technology company company and so we we kept the staff in the company that did our core business uh, skills and then everyone else basically we outsourced because they were the best in the field of what they did and you know why would you reinvent the wheel Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to go back to the comment you made before about the law school going into that other company and then going from nine staff through to about 1200 staff uh, pretty quick which is and then you were one of the ones left holding the organization and that so couple questions here one was the growth and and how you know how did you handle that growth as an organization and the other one would be what was it like for you as the young law student next minute holding this organization what was it like for you as a leader as well yeah, I mean, my my entire career has probably been pretty similar where I've had people throw me in the deep end and hope I can swim. So it was just a fantastic opportunity. I was very fortunate that people gave me the opportunity they did. Don't get me wrong, it was daunting. And, and you're always going to make mistakes. I think that was something that, you know, the founders of that first business, Smart Parking, were very upfront with. They said, look, we're throwing you in at the deep end. You'll make mistakes, but you'll also learn from them. Just don't make it twice. And so it was it was definitely daunting and, you know, you're working massive hours and spending a huge amount of time overseas. So a lot of the businesses we acquired when we listed were up in Europe. So spending a lot of time going back and forward. I'd be in Australia once a month to report back to the ASX. So, you know, we're traveling a lot, but it was just an incredibly exciting time. You know, we backdoor listed. So we took a dormant shell on the ASX and listed through that. So, you know, it was it was incredibly exciting and you were buying businesses and, you know, finding out that due diligence probably wasn't as good as it should have been and all of that good kind of thing. But it was, it, it was a great experience and I was, uh, you know, one I was very fortunate to have. Yeah, and I, I like what you said as well about the mistakes. You can, you're going to make mistakes. So that's where we learn from that, right? But, you know, don't make the mistakes too many times. Well, I think that um, sometimes some of us, we make a mistake, but we'll go and do it the second time just to make sure it was a mistake in the first place, right? So <laughs> so we'll, we'll make sure it is a mistake. Yeah, that's very cool. Hey, um, who is your favorite leader? Now, that could be somebody who's alive or from history, um, but who is your favorite leader and why? Yeah, look, you know, the, the person who, who's, who's a big role model for me, for, for reasons that's probably not the same as everyone else, is Steve Jobs, and purely because he kept picking himself up, right? I mean, Apple were on the brink of bankruptcy, what, six times through the 90s? You know, he was dumped out of that CEO role, brought back. He, but he, he was a guy that he just had a vision. He knew what he wanted to achieve, and he found a way to achieve. And I think that's 
you know, it's something that I've always tried to live by and I think most successful CEOs and entrepreneurs do, which is you're going to get knocked down. Uh, people are going to tell you you can't do it. They're not going to give you money all the time. You know, you're going to be on the brink of collapse, everything else. But if you are truly that good and the business and the idea is truly that good, then you will be successful. And so I think, you know, Steve Jobs just epitomized that. And then, you know, once they had achieved greatness, his Steve Jobs ability to redefine what perfection is in that area was something special. You know, I I became quite close with a number of people in the C-suite at Apple. And those guys would tell me how, you know, two days before the launch of the new um, Apple store in San Francisco, Jobs would walk in and say, no, I want to change it all. You know, he's that, he was that kind of genius. And so, you know, I just think in terms of admiration, I, I think he, he was the guy. Yeah, and, you know, when I got to travel a lot around the world and get to Silicon Valley, you know, three, four, five times a year and, and go to those Apple stores and go to the Apple headquarters, amazing places that you get to see and what they've done there for sure. And I um, so, you know, getting knocked down and standing back up and, and if your business idea, you as a leader, you're really good at what you do, then you will be able to get on with things. So, so you know, dust yourself off, keep going. That's the key, right, is to stay strong, stay focused, stay on, on the track and, and keep moving forward for sure. And and on that note, Dennis, look, I think it's a really important point too, is, you know, if you want to go down this line and you want to be successful as an entrepreneur and start your own thing, you are going to get knocked down and you should be ready for that. You know, it shouldn't be a surprise that it's going to be really hard. You're going to be on the ground a lot. Find a way to dust yourself off and get back up. Yeah, and I think they talk about if you're gonna if you're gonna do it, it's gonna happen, as you say, get it done quickly, and then you can move on, right? So, which is really interesting. So, that the, the show's name is leadership is changing. When I say that 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 uh, that sort of term to you or that statement, what does that mean for you? Yeah, a few things. And and again, I was very fortunate. Some of the people I learned from, you know, had the philosophy, you should try and fill a room up with smarter people than yourself. And, you know, for some of us, like myself, it wasn't that hard. But, you know, I think the important thing there, and, and it's absolutely true, and it's a philosophy I always had is, you know, you're not going to be an expert across every area. And as an entrepreneur, it's actually really hard to accept that you need to bring other people in and, you know, people that complement uh, you. And what I mean by that is where, where are you weak? Analyze that, understand that, and bring those people in. Gone are the days where big companies and successful companies can have one person making all the decisions. It's like a sporting team, you know, different people for different positions because they bring the most value in that position. I use a rugby analogy that there's no point in us putting a prop on the wing, right, uh, or vice versa. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, great. I, I like it. And, you know, fill the room with smarter people. I mean, that's 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 a smart thing to do. And, you know, there's a whole lot of egos that are in the way. And so uh, for a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners and, and senior execs and, say, large corporates and that, you know, their role is really to set the strategy or set the vision and things like that and then get the heck out of the way and let people get on with it. But so many of them just want to stay in the way, right? Correct. And, and you know, I always had the philosophy that if I can make myself redundant as a CEO, I've done my job. So it's not just about day-to-day operations, it's also succession planning, right? I mean, you look at a business and how it's growing. What does that look like in one, two, three, five, ten years' time? And then, you know, what skill sets are you going to need through that time? Plan ahead of the curve, but also get the right people in place. If you can't get them in place, outsource it to a company that does it better than you're going to. Yeah, I think that that's a big role for leaders, which is the succession planning. They tend to, you know, I've seen a lot of leaders whereby they've gone off to another role and they're off, they're happy and they're doing the other role. But then 
when you look at the bench, as I call it, in other words, the team that they have who are below them and another sense reporting to them, that they, you know, who have they developed? Who is their future successor? And they don't always identify that person. So that's really important that we have that succession plan and that we have the people that we're wanting to identify. The other thing you say, and um, Jim Collins talks about it as well in his book, you know, as well as that having the right people in the right seats on the on the bus, right? It's just making sure we've got the right people. And this is a question I ask a lot of leaders all the time. And that is, do you have the right people around you? And I get people, oh, yeah, 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 I've got the right people. But then a little bit further on down the track, they realize, no, I don't. And I think one of the biggest things, Jake, that I've seen with people around having the right people if you don't have the pe- the right people, it's difficult. When you've got the right people, it happens. It's I wouldn't say it's easy, but it's easier. But it just it's it, it happens, and that's that's when you know you've got the right people. Absolutely, and and I think that's people outside um, of the organisation, right? I mean that those people to bounce those ideas off somebody that you trust. You know, I always think of it as a you know it's, it's almost the chief of staff that isn't the chief of staff. So they're there, you know, they're super onto it. They've been there, done it. They can give you that advice, here, that sounding board, because I think sometimes, and, and particularly when you're running hard, the ability to step out of what you're and take a holistic approach is, is actually really, really difficult. So having that guidance, that um, that sounding board, and sometimes you make exactly the same decision you were going to, but you feel a whole lot better about it because you've bounced it off the right sort of person. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, good. So how has business or industry changed and how has that demand, or what demand has that put on you as an individual and also, the say, the team or the leadership team? Yeah, look, look. I think even uh, in my career, you've seen a big change in terms of the demand of time. So everything is real time now. You know, staff globally can get hold of you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, your your team are continuously working day and night. So they're coming up with different things. So there's massive pressure on people, I think, from a, a point of view of time. But also from a, a global point of view, I mean, the world's going through, even before COVID was going through sort of the fourth industrial revolution. And so mm-hmm. what you see with that is that, you know, industry is changing. And we were fortunate enough to be in the tech sector, but I'm involved in a number of businesses that are having to change what they do, whether it's forestry, whether that's manufacturing, you know, machine learning. And so there's a really big change there. And it does two things, actually. One is um, it upskills all the workers because you need to be able to work with different machinery and, and do different things now but two it actually prolongs by and large prolongs someone's career because instead of and i take forestry as an example you know instead of running down a tree, uh, hill with a chainsaw you are now uh, sitting in a very warm cab in a in, in a machine and the machine's doing it for you so your ability to work longer is is there but i think you know the connected world has changed the way we look at you know, whether we need to have a meeting in person, you know, whether people are in the office or not doesn't really matter anymore. You know, it's sort of become the norm that you can call someone 24 hours a day, seven days a week because, you know, it's not working hours anymore. So, I, I you know, I don't actually know if that's a good thing or not, to be quite honest with you. You know, we were always very conscious of, you know, having staff days and once a month doing something as a team that wasn't work, you know, switch your phones off, put them in the box in the office and we're going out to, you know, I don't know play golf, paintball, whatever it was. 
And I think that's really, really important. And I think some companies have really got it right. And you've seen the success of that. So Google, Apple, uh, Amazon, you know, the the free food on site, the playrooms for kids so they can take their family to work if they're going to work from work. You know, the, the shuttle buses to and from the major campuses. I mean, all of that kind of thing is about creating an environment that we used to get, I think, at sport clubs, actually. You know, people used to go to their sport club on the weekend and they would get that decompression from being at a sports club. I think a lot of businesses are trying to create that environment now, and I actually think that's a good thing. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting culture how that, that goes, and, and uh, time, as you say, really important in how we manage it. I mean, I, as I said in my introduction to the show, that you know people are running from email to email, meeting to meeting, and, and you know, one exec I worked with, they did a, a Gallup um, survey, which is, you know, for the listeners, just a, a Gallup was whereby they did a survey, like a 360-degree survey on the on the leader from their leader, their, their leader's point of view on that person, their peers and their team. And of the nine in the executive team, he was he was, he was was second to the bottom and he was uh, not good. And, and he came across as his not having any presence. Why? Because he was just running from meeting to meeting, email to email, 24 by 7. It was just full on. So when he got to a meeting, he felt A, tired, mm-hmm. and B, he sat there not even participating because he's starting to think about the meeting he's just left. He's thinking about the meeting he's going to. He's thinking about a whole lot of stuff, and he just wasn't present. So I worked with him on that and got him to start thinking about things and, and, and using a model with him that I've created. And what happened is that he – you know, nine months later, we did another Gallup survey, and he was second again to the top. Yeah, and so it was a big difference, and his whole executive presence changed because he was going into meetings and asking good quality questions because he was taking the time out to think about things as he was doing it. So I think what you're saying before about that real time and the demand on our time is so true and so amazing. What's happening at the moment? It's how we manage that and being disciplined to put some boundaries around us to help things. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think on that note too, you know, as entrepreneurs and, and leaders, we're not always great at seeing uh, our time for what it is, and that's a massive cost, right? So, you know, if there is something that you can pay a staffer for, you know, whether that's an, an executive assistant, a secretary, or or some of your managers and get them to do some of those tasks, is actually a really good use of your time uh, so that you can focus on what your job is, which is driving the business forward, leading from the front, um, running the team. And that's that's really important. You know, it's, it's menial tasks that we do as, as leaders, CEOs, managing directors, whatever. And you just, if you put a cost on that and you say, look, my time's worth a couple of grand an hour or whatever that might be, you'd, you'd never do it. You'd get somebody else to do it that isn't worth that cost. But because it's you, you do it. And so I think that's a really big lesson to learn as well as your company grows. Oh, too right. So delegate. Hey, that's not a bad idea. And then so the other thing I see, Jake, as well, is that working with leaders and they'll, they'll go to a meeting and at that meeting is also their two or three team members from their team of 10, as an example. And I go, so why are you going to the meeting? Oh, because I've been invited. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what, why do you need to go to the meeting if you've got your team members going? And they're going, oh, good point. And then the next question I ask is, if you don't go to the meeting because you've got your team meetings going, what do you think that does for the team? Mm-hmm. And, it, and what comes out of it is that, oh, they do trust me. And that's and 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 that and that we take it away. We don't actually understand that we're doing that as leaders because we know that we have to go to this meeting and it's really important. Yeah, look, look, totally agree with that. And and you do. You spend too much time in meetings. You feel like you need to. We actually adopted, and you know, I, I 
take other leaders' advice and, you know, if somebody's doing something better, I, I'm I'm quite happy to copy it. Elon Musk sort of brought in with Tesla that if you're sitting in a meeting or on a phone call and you're not adding value, hang up or leave the meeting. Don't say anything. You don't have to. Just leave. And we adopted that strategy as well. And it took a little bit of getting used to, you know, I I got a few nervous looks from some staff where they thought they needed to leave. But, you know, it was one of the best things we implemented because one, it's just, you know, mentally you don't have time to focus on things that you're not adding value to or don't add value to you. So don't, you're not doing a favor to the company, your staff, you know, you're not doing a favor to your staff because you're taking up their time, they're stressed about what they need to do. And it was one of the, I think it was actually one of the best policies we implemented. Just hang up or leave if you're not adding value or, you know, the call's not adding value to you. Yep. Great, great. So listeners, I'm here on the show with Jake Passant, who has had a few startups and done very well as an entrepreneur and as a leader, gone from New Zealand through into the US and now across the globe. And it's great to have him on the show here. So Jake, if there was one thing you could change in business as a leader today, mm-hmm. what would it be? Look, I, I don't think the, the, the framework for businesses is actually right anymore. You know, we have a framework for business that was effectively created 70 years ago after the the last revolution, if you will. So in in my view, I think countries as a whole actually need to change their framework and the global economy needs to change. It's in massive flux right now with what's going on with COVID. So I I would be very focused on that. I think that rolls across into um, institutes as well. The reality is, is the global climate's changed and institutes aren't focused enough, when I say institutes, I mean universities, for example, focused enough um, on what the the next wave of revolution looks like in terms of business. So, you know, if if I could change something, it would be giving our young people uh, more of the skill sets that they're going to need to be successful in business. You know, that's not to say that their law degrees and their management degrees and accounting, whatever else, aren't going to be valuable. But the reality is, is the business landscape has changed and it's changed forever. And so we should be teaching our young people to deal with that and what a modern business and structure looks like so that they can cope and be successful with it. Yeah, I love it. Cope with with the change and cope with the new frameworks and the way that business needs to be done going forward. So how has employees' expectations of leaders changed? I, th- I think it changes uh, through the life of a company as well, to be honest. It certainly it depends on what country you're in. I think, you know, my experience mostly in the US is that a leader in years gone by was seen as a bit of a figurehead to a certain degree, but certainly made the hard decisions across the board for everyone. Now, I think leaders are seen as much more a resource on the ground but they trust their team. So what I mean by that is it's very flat structure now across businesses and you have a number of leaders rather than an, than a leader. And so that's a big change from even probably 35, 40 years ago. But it's absolutely a strength for businesses. You have a multiple number of leaders rather than one particular person making decisions, but not really on the ground anywhere else. Yeah. Can't be everything to everybody. You need to have uh, multiple leaders, multiple people involved. Yeah, it's interesting, yeah. What makes a leader successful today in this fast-paced, ever-changing world? Being able to listen is probably um, right up there. You know, your ability to listen to the people you put around you. You know, if you're going to hire someone, trust them to do the job. 
Um, if you don't trust them to do the job, don't hire them, basically. You know, my, my view is, is that, you know, leaders are there to lead and you stand up in front of um, the hard decisions. And the, the hard decision might not be the decision you made either, right? So, you know, if you're going to trust the structure, you're going to trust the team, you stand up in front of that. And if it goes wrong, you need to be prepared to be the one that gets gets the knife, right? So, you know, I think that's really important because that mindset then allows you to make decisions with the team, knowing full well that you bear the brunt of that responsibility. Yeah, the responsibility big time, skin in the game. Uh, You're actually there. I I actually use an analogy too, Jake, where I talk about, you know, are you one of the 22 players on the field and thinking about football or soccer or are you one of the 80,000 in the crowd watching? Because you see, if you're a leader, you are one of the ones on the field. You are actually in the game and you're there not being, a, you know, somebody there as an observer or one of the, the, the crowd. You've got to be in the game. And as you say, I, I love it where you talk about that, you know, you you have to lead and lead from the front. But sometimes it may be decisions whereby it's not your decision or something you may not agree fully on. But you've got to be in there as a leader. You've got to actually live it and bring it to life. Take people on the journey with you as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's, it's you getting involved where you need to get involved. And I think having that ability to do that is actually a really specific skill set because people don't want to be micromanaged, but they want to know that they've got your support and they want to know that they can express themselves and make decisions based on their experience and their skill set. And you're going to trust them and back them to the hilt for that. But I do come back to it's really important for a leader to stand up both in terms of being the face of the company and also when things don't go right, you are the one that stands up, takes the brunt of it, and your staff should know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. What about as leaders? I, I mean, I, I talk about that. I think our leaders, uh, we're being watched as leaders all the time. So it comes down to what you just said around, you know, the good times and the hard times. So being watched as a leader, what are your thoughts about that? Are we being watched as leaders all the time? Yeah, I, I think we are, and you should you should see it as that. You, you're a role model for the business. Your actions will directly be uh, seen as how the business conducts itself, both internally and externally. You know, we always made an effort um, at Parking Sense to be best dressed whenever we went to a, a meeting, an interview, whatever it might be, whether we were raising money, whatever. We were always best dressed in that room. And that was, as, as a leader and as a front person, I felt that it was very important, you know, that I didn't turn up to work in track pants. You know, I, I, I think that's just crucial. You know, you, you're on time. You're the first one in the office. They know you're there. And hey, you might not be there all day, but they know that you're up early, you're working hard, you're focused. You know, we had rules around uh, travel time, for example, and, you know, when people traveled in economy as opposed to business class. And as leaders, we all uh, abided by the same rules because I would never ask a staff member to go and do something that I'm not prepared to do. And I think that's really important. Staff need to know that you are prepared and know every part of the business. We would send um, any of our executives out on site to do an install of the hardware uh, in their first week with the company. And and, you know, I think that was a really important part for everyone to see what each other did and, and and the challenges that you all see. So if you make a mistake, how does that impact somebody else? And I think as leaders, that's important. Okay, good. So you, you, you had people going out so they could see how each other's uh, worked and how it impacted. Did you actually sort of cross-pollinate, if I can put it that way, the, the, the team and the organisation where people got to do parts of other people's jobs so then you've always had backups, but also probably the more the more of an understanding of where people are coming from 
Yeah, so we did. We didn't at the highest level. I mean, one of the things that I uh, was very passionate about implementing at a period of time, and it probably goes back to making yourself redundant, is having a C-suite of executives that can interchange through roles So and, and actually did. So you would have quarter by quarter where your executives actually rotate through different roles in the business. And the reason that I thought that was a good idea um, and would implement it and will one day is because you have different mindsets and different skill sets in the different roles that bring out different creativity and different ideas long term. So you'd rotate your CFO, CEO, CMO, COO all through different roles and get efficiencies out of it that way. And it's, you know, it's a pretty holistic approach and pretty different to what most people are are operating today. But I do think it's the future. I think if you've got a core group, even in a big business of eight to 10 executives in that C-suite, rotating them through every role, including the CEO role, would actually give you creativity that you won't see anywhere else in the world. Wow, that's awesome. I mean, uh, great would have been great to see that happen. Mm-hmm. And when we transitioned into those roles, how quickly were they up and into that role? Because, you know, it could, sometimes it can take a lot of time. Yeah, it, look, it, it does. But in saying that, look, that, that's the beauty of the idea is that people took the time to understand every role because they knew it was coming. So they took more notice of what was going on in the business. They took more notice of what what is the CFO actually doing? You know, how is he operating through? You know, who's helping him? Because I'm going to need those same people to help. It also creates relationships. So instead of, you know, there's typically there is a, a natural dislike or, or friction between finance and sales. It doesn't matter what business you're in, there will be a natural friction between those two departments. But the reality is, is if you operate in this way, it creates a real relationship because everyone does need to to have a stronger relationship. It's not just, oh, I need an account from accounts. It's next month, I'm actually going to be running with accounts. What do they do? How do they do it? What are the challenges they see? So it actually was an awesome way of creating a great culture across different departments as you grew as well. Yeah, so a lot of organizations do talk about culture and how important it is. But what I'm hearing from Jake is that, you know, not only did we talk about it, we actually did it and we brought it to life because that's, you know, you can't expect things to happen if you're not actually out there doing it. So, oh, great. Yeah, okay. So I'm going to ask you to get your crystal ball out and, and, and think about things about the future. And that is this question here, which is where, where do you see leadership being in five years? Well, I think, you know, a little bit of the stuff I talked about, I think some companies will start to implement over a period of time in terms of, you know, rotating different C-suite through. Look, I think leaders, it's going to become, it's interesting, it's going to become more of a, a young person's game, I actually think, in terms of the leadership, because it is becoming a much broader role you know, understanding different parts of the business, understanding uh, technology and how you can be most efficient is going to become really, really important and, and is today actually, but but more so in, in five years' time. I also think um, understanding where the world's going to go. I mean, as a leader with your leadership team, your job is to create the structure, the strategic vision, uh, and ultimately the direction of the company. And I think when you look at where the world is going, your ability to see where you need to go as a business and and where your team needs to go is going to be really important. So understanding the changing world is going to mean that it is a young person's game. And you're seeing that already across the US. You know, tech company CEOs typically, you know, at 31, I'm I'm um, probably in the sweet spot of tech company CEOs. By the time you hit 40, you're probably looking for a different role. So, you know, from that point of view, I, I do think it's becoming a younger person's game. 
Yeah, there's a couple of things I just want to deep dive a little bit more with you on uh, what you just said, because I think it's great. Um, so executives, leaders, do they need to be digital savvy uh, nowadays? Look, I, I don't think it hurts. And I think it's something that you at least have to have a base knowledge of. The reality is, is if you are good at what you do, um, you bring value to a business. So that, that that's what I would say in terms of what you need in terms of your leaders. But being digital savvy in some way, shape or form, I think is is going to be important to get efficiencies out of the business. And it goes back to culture and what we we're talking about before in terms of time. You know, if you can use technology, technology efficiently, then all of a sudden, you know, you have more time on your hands, your headspace is clearer, you can make better decisions. If you're a one finger typer, I would suggest going out and getting someone to work you through the technology that allows you to dictate through a microphone. You know, it's things like that. Use technology actually to make you more efficient. You don't necessarily have to be more tech savvy, but have people help you and utilize your time in the best way to then help your team execute. Yeah, use technology to help you accelerate your leadership, your business, the change and all that. Just help do that. So good. The second point I was going to ask you, based on what you just say, I'm, you know, with the younger ones coming through and that, I'm seeing, you know, with COVID-19, we're already seeing a lot of organizations going to downsize and, and, and do that. And um, I'm seeing people probably early 40s to mid to late 50s who are going to be sucked out of organizations because they're now no longer needed. So what do you see that's going to happen a lot more? Do you see that's and you know what what do you think people might need to do around that space? Yeah, yeah. Look, I think it will, and I think there's going to be pain across all sectors actually uh, in that regard. So you know, my advice would be it's twofold. One, I would urge governments um, to create framework so that people, you know, just because you're in your fifties doesn't mean that you can't go and learn some new techniques, new learn the new ways of doing things, and take the opportunity actually to um, do something that you may have wanted to do for a long time. And that's where governments need to create the framework to support people to do that. From an individual point of view, I think we're never too old uh, or too successful to stop learning, right? We should Mm. continue to learn throughout our lifetimes. It's in our DNA. It's in our nature to continue to learn if we want to. So I think that's really important at an individual level. How can I continue to learn? How can I continue to get better? Because the reality is as well as jobs where you sit there and it's just a paycheck and there's no satisfaction in that. It's how can I do it better? How can we do things better? Learning new things and achieving something by learning something new is actually incredibly satisfying. It comes back to that mental health and and your time management as well. So I think that's, you know, that would be my advice is, you know, don't be afraid to learn something new it might be a bit daunting up front but go and do it you won't regret it awesome you're never too old to learn something new which is pretty cool uh jake thank you for joining us on today's show if our listeners are wanting to get hold of you how, how do they do that yeah look anyone feel free to drop me a line at jake at jakebazant.com always happy to touch base with people and help where i can great thank you what we as leaders know is to to be true is that change is constant Change is incredibly scary, especially with the unknown, the unfamiliar territory. It's time to adapt in our fast-moving world when leadership is changing. Look out for the episodes as they are published. Have a listen, put a review, and a rating. If there's feedback that you'd like to give me on the show, please feel free to send me an email, dennis at leadingchangepartners.com. And if there is a question you want me to ask these leaders, feel free to send it to that same email address as well. Thanks for tuning in today. We'll talk again soon. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Leadership is Changing with your host, Dennis Giannoutsas. Each week, we and our guests provide information and insights through exploring leading change, inspiring executives and leaders to adapt and lead a bigger game in a fast-moving world. 